Jesus did a lot of teaching by using parables. That's a parable we just read there. Uh, it's a story to help illustrate a point he was making. Uh, stories are powerful ways to communicate the truths of God. And Jesus was the master at communicating the truths we needed to hear. This parable, the prodigal son, is probably one of the most well-known of Jesus' stories that he told. Uh, there's been movies and uh, short videos made about it. There's been songs written about it. If anybody's a Keith Green fan here, he's got a really long compilation uh, about the prodigal son, which I think is just brilliant. Uh, it's a parable that is chock full of God and his goodness, directed towards people who are unworthy and undeserving of it. Um, let's set the scene here for this parable. Yeah, can you just grab your hand? Let's set the scene here for this parable. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, is in the middle of his ministry here, um, preaching the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, Now, this wasn't always received well by the people hearing what was happening at that time. In fact, often the religious people of the day opposed Jesus when he uh, preached the good news. They couldn't find fault with him as a person, but they didn't like what he was saying. Jesus, by simply speaking the truth, exposed the hypocrisy in their false living and upset their cosy lifestyle of the religious people of those days of what they built for themselves. And this is exactly what we see here in this parable as well. Uh, in these first few verses, which we didn't read, we'll go back to it, in verses 1 to 3, uh, we see at the start of this is this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. The Pharisees and the scribes here are ticked off with Jesus. It says there they grumbled about him and he received sinners and eats with them. They're sort of saying, Jesus, what do you think you're doing? Don't you know these guys, they're sinners? You don't hang out with these sort of people. Grumbling and murmuring amongst themselves saying this. What are you doing, Jesus, associating with this low-life scum of people like tax collectors and sinners? You see, these guys didn't understand who God is. They didn't understand what his kingdom was all about. They totally missed the purpose of the Messiah coming. They didn't know the love of God in salvation through grace and compassion. These religious people didn't see that. So Jesus tells them these stories here to help them understand that or get a vision of that. There's a couple of short little stories of parables before this that Jesus talks about, which we didn't read. One is about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And in both of those, the person who finds the sheep and finds the coin rejoices. And actually, Jesus says that the same thing happens in heaven when a sinner repents, all of heaven dances in jubilation and joy that someone has got the gospel and they've repented. And then Jesus goes on to these religious people and tells them, this is what I've come for. I've come to save those who need to be saved, which is everybody. And when they do repent, Jesus says, heaven explodes with joy because of the gospel and the fruit that it comes to bear. But Jesus now sharpens his story here and zeroes in on both the people gathered around him and also these Pharisees who are grumbling and murmuring at the time. And to sort of, with this next parable here of the prodigal son, it begins to sharpen it so they get a bit clearer picture of what's taking place. So let's step in and have a look at this here today and see this compassionate father pursuing reckless rebels, but also the self-righteous and the proud. First one here, let's look at the prodigal. Jesus gives us a very vivid description of the prodigal son here, and it isn't pretty. 
the son is a reckless rebel. He's disrespectful and unloving in every possible way towards his father. Look in verse 12 and he says this. And the younger of them, this is the younger of the two sons, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. What's the son actually saying there in that tiny little phrase? We can't see it, but really let me paraphrase you what he's saying. Hey, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance now. You don't normally get the inheritance until your father dies or whatever. He's saying, Dad, hey, I wish you were dead. I want the money now. I'm not really too fussed about you, Dad. I just want to take the money and I just want to run. That's really the, the mindset or the attitude here of the prodigal. So the father does give him a payout graciously. You know, it would be very hard, but he does do that. And within a few days, the son is out of there. In verse 13, it says, if not many days later, he's gone. He's gone. He doesn't waste any time with any prolonged goodbyes to the family. He's dreaming of the good life. His wallet is loaded up. He's headed straight to the Gold Coast and he's going to live the dream. That's what this prodigal is thinking about at this particular time. And he doesn't waste any time in getting to the Gold Coast and he gets straight into party mode as soon as he gets there and he hits the nightclub scene as hard as he possibly can. He's now living the dream. His money's full and he's ready to go. He's going every night from wow to wow. You can get on Instagram and you can see every post of where he's been, on the beach, in the fast cars, up in the nightclub, everywhere. He's going as hard as he possibly can. And he's got lots of people hanging off him at the same time while he does this. As is often the case, the money runs dry, doesn't it? You can't sustain that lifestyle for too long. Things don't go so well. The credit card bounces. The car is repossessed. He's evicted out of the top floor penthouse unit overlooking the ocean. Uh, And the friends have all run for cover and there's nobody left in this situation. With absolutely total disrespect for his father, he has gone and wasted all of the inheritance that he got from him. You see, this son is a reckless rebel. He's a reckless rebel. He doesn't have any time for God. He couldn't care less about the God who gives him breath and life. He lives a life of craziness and free for all, especially free from any restraints that God may put on him or any recognition of who God is. He's free to do whatever he likes, he thinks, in his own mind. And he couldn't care less about his father either. The sooner he can get away from that old man, the better, is what he's thinking. The prodigal then, through these circumstances, finds himself broken and destitute. The very nightclub that he was going to, maybe just a few weeks before, he's now picked up a job there, cleaning up the toilets and mopping up the vomit from the nightclub from the night before. That's about all he's got going for at the moment. He's sitting in his one-bedroom dingy flat in the back streets of the Gold Coast and he comes to his senses. I've turned my back on God and I've turned my back on my father. What a fool I've been, living a lie and crazily believing this lie at the same time. These are some of the people gathered around Jesus here as he tells this parable here in Luke 15. They are reckless rebels, rebelling against God and living a reckless life. Let me just fast forward the story a little bit here. The younger son does come home. The prodigal returns to his father and he's welcomed with open arms. Now we meet the older brother in this same story. The older brother's out in the field and he hears the celebration that the father has put on for his lost son. Verses 25 and 26, we sort of see that's what's happening here. And the older son, uh, come, the older brother comes in and says to a servant, hey, what the heck's going on? 
Uh, He's told about this celebration here in verse 27 that's taking place. And it says here, and he said to him in verse 27, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. So he got the picture of what's happening. But in the very next verse, in verse 28, we get a very telling insight into how this older brother is thinking at this particular time. It says there, but he was angry and refused to go in. He was angry and refused. He's angry. He's not just a little bit annoyed because the music's a bit loud coming from the house. He's angry. He's got bitterness and he's got hatred for his brother. He's a piece of work at the moment. This is no celebration to the older brother whatsoever. He's so angry that he's not even going to go into the house to be anywhere near this whole ridiculous affair of welcoming home this absolute reckless rebel. He doesn't want to be anywhere near his brother or his father, for that matter of fact. He's not even going in there. What does the father do? Look in verse 28 again. He says there, his father came out and entreated him. The father entreats him. That's an old word there. You may not know what that means. It means like to plead with him, to nearly like beg with him. Please, please, please come and join in this celebration. Your brother who was lost, who was dead, is now found and alive. Please come in and join in. The father pleads with him to come in. Then the older brother answers in verses 29 and 30. And again, let me paraphrase this for you. I've slaved for you and always did what you said, but you never held a feast for me and my friends. But this son of yours doesn't even recognise him as his brother. But this son of yours comes home after trashing your money with unrestrained sex and you throw a feast for him. What the heck is all this about? What a waste of time on such a loser. This is how the older brother's thinking. You're just burning more money after bad money, Dad. What the heck is going on? That's sort of rolling around in that older brother here. See, the older brother has no real relationship with the father either. See, in verse 29 there it says, I've served you. That word there, served, really means like a slavishly served. Not out of a loved relationship with his father. It's like begrudgingly I've done all these things. He hasn't served out of a loving connection. He's I've just sort of slaved away from you. Slaved away for you. You see, the older brother, I think, is really hanging out for the inheritance as well. He's just biding his time. In many respects, he's no different to the prodigal brother. He's just a bit more deceptively polite about it. He's just trying to do the right thing and keep the peace. As soon as the dad dies, he's got the money. He's thinking the same way, I reckon. You see, the older brother is a self-righteous, proud person who builds his reputation on judging harshly the uncontrolled or wasteful people or to be seen to be doing the right things. That's how he builds his life. And then he contrasts himself against those other ones who aren't doing so well. And that contrast, he shines like a star in comparison because he's so good in his own mind compared to those sinners and tax collectors gathered over there. You see, here in Luke 15, the older brother that Jesus is referring to are the religious Pharisees. 
who are looking down on the tax collectors and the other sinners who are gathered around Jesus at this time. They're self-righteous and they're proud of all their achievements that they have done. They earn God's favour supposedly by their good works. Look at me, God. Look at what I've done. Look at how I've obeyed you. I'm not like those reckless rebels over there. I come to church every Sunday, God. I even stop and pray regularly as well. And I pay my tithes on time. Look at me, God. Look at how good I am. I've got a good job and I contribute back to the community. I'm such a good person. See, the Pharisee here that Jesus is talking to are religious do-gooders. They're building their whole life on being religiously good at doing things. They just stay out of trouble and they do good as a helpful member of the community, trusting that God will somehow recognise all their good deeds and say, yeah, you're one of my people. There's a really clear picture, I believe, in this um, parable here for us. And really the whole world is found in those two categories. The whole world is found in those two categories. We are either reckless rebels, like the younger brother, living life unrestrained before God, not ever giving God the time of day whatsoever, or, or we live a good life in a sort of religious way to earn our way before God by doing good things. Thursday evening, um, I've been in Sydney most of the week from sort of Monday to Thursday, and uh, about 5.30 or so, uh, myself and two other pastors uh, jumped into an Uber to get into the Sydney airport, and uh, after spending three and a half days in a gospel-saturated place, and you've got an unconverted person in the car with you, what do you think you'll do? (laughs) We went hard at him in a very nice way. He was surrounded, he couldn't get out of it, it took us about 20 minutes to get to the airport. In the end, he started off saying, oh, no, I'm not religious but I think I'll go to heaven. Oh, good. Why do you think you're going to heaven? Oh, I'm a good person. I'm a really good person. A religious do-gooder. Even though he said he wasn't religious, that's where he got to in the end. He said, no, by my good deeds and my good things, I'll get to heaven. Just a typical example where these categories fall. We either just don't have the time of day for God at all or become just like quasi-religious good people and God will accept me because of that. Every person sitting in this room today falls in one of those two categories. One of those two categories. Both the prodigal son and the older brother have the same problem. Their hearts were broken and their hearts are corrupted by sin. They just expressed their sinful brokenness in different ways. They're exactly the same people. They had no relationship with God at all. God the Father, what's, what's Jesus doing? He's actually telling this parable here as well to show us God the Father in this whole aspect. That God is a loving, grace-filled, compassionate Father who gladly accepts us and welcomes us home. God the Father, that Jesus is saying here, delights in rescuing the prodigal, but not only the prodigal, but also the older brother. The prodigal wanders off here into a waste of living as we saw before, but the father hasn't given up on him. Verse 20 there, you get this picture that would have astounded the Pharisees as Jesus had told this. In a very undignified way, the father who gathers up his long robes 
And when he sees the prodigal son returning home, he bounds down the road to meet the prodigal. Who knows how many days he's gone out there to keep looking for him. But anyway, he sees him this day and he runs and he runs and embraces and kisses him with a heartfelt welcome. It would have been amazing to see. But in Jewish thought, in Jewish thought at that time, the right thing to do is to write that son off. Just forget about him. Don't even recognise him. Actually treat him as good as dead. Why? Because he's brought such a dishonour to the family. The Jewish thought would be, you don't go and recognise him at all. But what does this father do? He bounds down the road and throws his arms around him and gladly welcomes him. Jesus is giving a picture here of sinners who come home of acceptance and welcome as they realise their broken state before him. This is the God who welcomes us with gladness. Then in verse 22, there we see, he puts this robe and he says, put the best robe on him. This is a sign of honouring his son again. He's not going to have the slave garb or the servant's garb. He's actually going to have the honour of having the best robe in the house put back on him. That's another glorious sign of welcome and acceptance for the prodigal son. They say put a ring on his finger. Back then that ring would mean like a a restoration to a forehead in his father's house. He's not just coming in on the bottom rung. He's coming back home as a fully fledged son. And shoes on his feet. You might think these are incidental details. But back in those days, the only people who generally wore shoes were free people. The slaves wore no shoes. He's a free person. He's freely accepted by the Father, just as God freely accepts us in Christ. And then he says, bring out the fattened calf in verse 23. We might say today, bring out the Angus or bring out the Wagyu beef, whatever it is. Bring out the best. And when they did that, they were celebrating a grand occasion. This father is making a massive deal here out of this uh, prodigal son who comes back, signifying to us the gladness of God in accepting us and welcoming us as we come back to him. Even the older brother here is is, is a recipient of this compassion and grace. In verse 29, uh, we see that picture here where the older brother is really salty and angry. We went through that before. But what is the father? He pleads with him to be reconciled with his brother and to join this celebration. All of these things, all of those things would have staggered the Pharisees as they heard that story as Jesus told it. The older brother has every right to act that way. Angry, salty and bitter. Why? Because the prodigal, his brother, which he's not even referring to as his brother, has just gone and trashed the family reputation. This just, Jesus is turning everything upside down here in this parable for these people listening on. This brother has no right to be recognised. God the Father welcomes the self-righteous and the proud just like he welcomes the prodigal. Jesus is giving a picture of a compassionate Heavenly Father. How does God welcome, though, the rebel and the self-righteous alike? Well, we haven't got to look at that here, verses 24, and particularly verse 32. It tells us here, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Right in there is the miracle of the gospel. Because that prodigal son, he couldn't bring himself back to life again. 
and that prodigal son couldn't be found again in a spiritual sense. But this is exactly what's taking place here uh, in this passage that Jesus is talking about. Jesus takes dead and lost rebels and self-righteous people, dead in their sins, lost in their brokenness, and what does he do? He makes them alive again in God, and he makes them found again from the wilderness of this broken world that we live in. It's the miracle that the Holy Spirit affects upon us when we are born again at conversion. Jesus makes it possible for the prodigal to come home and for the self-righteous to be humbled to see their desperate need of Christ in their life. See, Jesus takes our recklessness and our self-righteous pride and he bears all of its ugliness at the cross. He makes full payment and penalty of our brokenness and our sin so that we can go completely free and be reunited to God the Father in compassion and grace and love. And if you are visiting with us here today, we are stoked that you're here. If you've never been to this church before, and maybe you've never heard of the parable of the prodigal son, but maybe you're thinking right now, I can sort of identify with that. I feel a bit like the prodigal. Or yeah, maybe I'm a bit like the self-righteous, proudful person. We are so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. Because we would love to introduce you to Jesus who can set you free from that and restore to you a glorious relationship in a loving way to a great God and Saviour. So how do we respond today as we think about this parable? Firstly, firstly, we must worship God and His grace as our Heavenly Father. We must sit back and we must worship a glorious God. We are just like the prodigal or the older brother. We in no way have deserved or are worthy enough for God's grace in Christ to be given to us. Yet... Yet, God lavishly pours that grace upon us in compassion and relentless love. How many prodigals and self-righteous proud who've lived on and on and on and on in our stubborn behaviours before God? And what has God the Father done in the meantime? He has patiently bared with us as we continue to stubbornly live that way. He's bared with us through all of our brokenness and our sinfulness. And then gloriously, in God's timing, he lets his grace melt our hearts with his redeeming love. Paul the Apostle saw this. That's the passage read from before. So let's pick up verses 9 and 10 from that passage again that Paul says. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Get these next words here. But, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul was a self-righteous Pharisee, proud and hard-hearted, until God broke through and revealed that to him and he came in brokenness, calling out for salvation and grace. Paul recognises here what's taken place. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's only natural that we stand back from this parable in Luke 15 and we must worship God the Father in his compassionate, loving grace that he would put up with people like me. It must bring us to worship. That's what Exchange Church is all about. It's pointing people to this God. This God who rescues the prodigal and rescues the self-righteous. 
We are here. We are here on mission to connect people to Jesus and to grow people in Christ as loving disciples who follow him and enjoy him as we see his work taking place in our heart. How else do we respond to this? It's Father's Day, isn't it? We come alongside our fathers today here at Exchange. For those fathers who have prodigals or self-righteous who are living cut off from God at this time, we want to come alongside you. Those who are hurting over the lost state of family members, sons, daughters, this can be particularly painful times of Father's Day to know that there's a son or daughter who's truly not in relationship with Christ through repentance and faith. They may say the right things, yeah, yeah, God's this, God that, but you know, you know, their life's not bearing true fruit of repentance or true gospel grace in their hearts and their lives. And it can hurt deeply, really deeply, as we come alongside those fathers. We want to say, fathers, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Christ. Because he's the God of all compassion and the God of all grace. Perhaps the best thing today, as you focus on this parable here, looking at the God the Father in Luke 15, perhaps the best thing you can do today is to be just like this Father in Luke 15. Patiently keep praying for your wayward son or daughter. You won't condone their sinful behaviour. And in many respects, I don't think you need to voice that disapproval at times. Sometimes we feel like we want to voice that, but I don't think it's going to be really helpful. I think deep down, they know the disapproval before you. They don't need to hear it again. If anything, that might push them further away. I believe the best thing you can do here is probably this. Let your prodigal or your self-righteous one see. Let them see. Let them see that you live in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Let them see that you treasure Christ above all things in this world. That Jesus comes first in everything you do. Let your life speak of Jesus and let the gospel go deep in the Spirit's power within your life to impact the way you behave so that the prodigal or the self-righteous is won back to Christ without a word. Have a look at the scripture with me in 1 Peter 3. It says this, Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some who do not obey the word, they're not believers, they don't obey the word of the gospel. That could be your prodigal, that could be your self-righteous one. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. There's a principle there, we're not talking about husbands and wives particularly, we're talking about fathers prodigals and self-righteous but the principle stays the same that they may be one without a word by seeing Jesus living out through us can be one of the most powerful witnesses that we could show today that living for Christ treasuring Christ along with prayer will be one of the most powerful ways to win your prodigal or your self-righteous one 
son or daughter, back to Christ. So that's what Jesus wants us to see today. A God who's loving, a God who's compassionate, a God who's grace-filled, just like that father in Luke 15. Not condoning the behaviour, but praying and accepting that one and pointing them back to the one who can truly rescue them. Because that's exactly what God does. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, God can rescue them. Let's pray to that God and Father now. Father, we come to you today and we just uh, thank you and we praise you for Luke chapter 15. Father, we thank you that you are the God of compassion and the God of grace. You're the God who rescues. You're the God who's patient. For every single person, Lord, today who's in this room, who have put their trust in Christ, turned away from sin and called Jesus Lord, every single person, Lord, who's done it today, today is a trophy of your grace is a statement of your grace. So Lord, today I pray that you would just grow in our hearts today again afresh, that you are the God of compassion and grace. And that Lord, you would come alongside us as we all probably have connections in this church and maybe outside of this with prodigals, with self-righteous people, maybe sons, maybe daughters. And we would ask and pray, Lord, today, we would plead with you, please show your compassion and grace in the lives of these ones who are cut off from you at this time. And we pray, Lord, please bring them back into relationship with you so they would know your compassion and your grace and they would know the joy of living in a personal relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. Father, we thank you for the fathers you've placed in our lives today. Sure, as that video has said, we've had many mixed experiences, Lord. Some horrible, painful ones and some better ones and good ones. But I pray today, Lord, you'd help us uh, to be the fathers you've called us to be, to demonstrate Christ into this world so that he receives all the glory and we receive great joy in him. Uh, Lord, we now ask that and we pray that in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can come up and lead us uh, in a song.